something really. So now that we're all enlightened, uh, <laughs> oh, did, you didn't get that part on the. I'm sorry, we skipped over the enlightenment teachings. Mm. So tonight we're going to explore step twelve. But I'd also like to just um, maybe spend a little time reflecting on the whole process of looking at this uh, practice and this program together. Um, but I, I love step twelve, and uh, it's really um, a uh, a perfect summation and kind of place to arrive. Uh, uh, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in all our affairs. It encompasses a great deal. Uh, some of which I will attempt to talk about. But uh, I was kind of... Uh, uh, what I really was reflecting on before was that uh, there's really so much in the steps and in Buddhism that to try to kind of cover it, it's like seven weeks, wow, that's plenty of time. And then you get to the end and you realize, wow, it really wasn't enough time. And, um of course, that's one reason why I like to write books, because I feel like I can say everything I, I need to say. At the same time, I think we can get um, diverted by too much. And I've actually been dealing with this question, because I, I sent the manuscript, you know, the dra- first draft of my new book to my agent, and she's very... Uh, attuned to everything that I'm talking about. Let me put it this way. She's very knowledgeable on these topics uh, without saying anything more that would break something. So um, one of the things she said is it's like you're just, you know, you're trying to do, uh, you know, teach them people everything and this is supposed to be a workbook and try to give them, you know, don't give them so much. And and I think it's it's true, you know, that... And so one of the things I'm actually thinking about doing is just taking the homework that I've given you guys and going back and using that as the skeleton for my book and just build out from there rather than trying to take this big thing and chop it down, which is kind of painful um, and hard to sort out. And So I figure, I guess what I put in the homework is the stuff that I thought was really important. Um, so, uh, so I don't know if the class has been useful for you, but it's helped me to figure out my life and that's... All I'm really interested in, so yeah. oh, I love you guys. Hey, don't change, except in the ways that you know would be helpful. <laughs> yeah, and I just wanted to make that. Uh, I mean, you know, it's Billy Joel's fault that we have that phrase in our culture: "Don't change." Right? You don't want me to sing a few bars? I won't. I mean, it was a great song, but it really quickly turned into a cliché. So, uh, anyway. This is just preparation for meditation, in case you were wondering what we were doing. This is all just... You have to get the drivel out. Uh, Well, you've never had a a baby. So after you feed them, you put them on your shoulder, and they puke on your shoulder. And then once that, then they're okay after that. But they, you got it. So that's what, kind of what I'm doing here. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, in a manner of speaking, yes. Could I at least go get my raincoat first? <laughs> you, well, you, you put a diaper, you a cloth diaper up there. Yeah, it's great. Although I still have someone on my Birkenstocks. So I guess I had her aiming the wrong way at the time. But okay, so. So maybe we better meditate before I get into any more trouble. I could see where the next comment was going. It wasn't pretty.
See if you can connect with your body as a realm of energy. Feeling the body like points of light or points of energy in space. Not solid. Formless. Letting the attention open to sounds. the mind like open space. Thoughts like clouds moving through an open sky. Nothing solid. Everything in motion.
just awareness, the objects of awareness.
We have time for questions, if there are any questions about practice. I also, as I recall, I invited you to uh, come up with any questions you had just for the end of the class uh, this week. So if you've brought them, you can either ask them or put them in the bowl during the break. Kind of just, you know, I kind of feel that well, this is kind of open to really anything that you feel wasn't answered for you over these seven weeks. So, very open-ended. Or maybe you got all the answers. If so, please tell them to me. Yes. That's okay. You don't have to stand up. Um, so... Let me formulate it. It's, I feel silly asking it. So at the end of either one of the forewords or the prefaces of the big book, it talks. It says, um, you know, we hope that you'll, there's these three sentences about we hope you'll relate, or maybe you'll say, yes, I felt that way, or the last, the last thing is, yes, I want this thing too. Mm-hmm. And so my dilemma is that, yes, I want this thing. I want this meditation practice, and I'm so freaking undisciplined. It's really, really, really hard for me mm. to be disciplined enough to do it. And I feel like I need a meditation sponsor. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I actually just, um, a good friend of mine um, who's actually a treatment professional, actually kind of a you know, big deal in the business uh, asked me to help him with meditation and and we got together and talked and we did a meditation and after we talked for a while I said I'll, I'll be I'll be your meditation sponsor so he's texting me every day after he meditates <laughs> and that's the idea of the kind of meditation buddy we I talked about early in the series um because I'm not I think in some ways, what's most important isn't to have somebody sponsoring you, but somebody helping to keep you honest. You know, something, somebody who you're, you feel, um, yeah, that is just in that role for you. But, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I think that's that's a or a meditation sponsor. I think is a good a good idea. Uh, what what else would it take? What else might help you? Well, I was talking with a friend who I... I was talking with a friend who comes, a couple of friends who come to this class with me, and we were talking about, we have been sort of meditation buddies, we've started it, and we were both talking about, for me, I think, I need to um, take more meditation class. I mean, I think I need to participate in a group on a regular basis. Yeah. And and I'll say this, that I've been hesitant to um, be involved in a Buddhism and recovery group because I'm so connected with AA, and it's so important for me to stay really close to AA, really important for me. Mm-hmm. And um, How long I, have you been sober? 11 years. Uh-huh. And I don't want to, I, you know, it's, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, I'm, and I'm jealous of my time, also, not my sobriety time but of my time, time. right sure. you know i work you don't hard have unlimited time to yeah do yeah sure. yeah so i'm thinking well maybe i need to come up here on a regular basis or i don't know where, where do you live i live really close by uh-huh. in san anselmo yeah. well i do think that um it's reasonable to trade if you go to more than one meeting a week to trade a meeting for a for a meditation group um you know if you're uh you know at a point in your recovery where you're not um probably in danger uh, um and it's so um i you know this was something that was on the homework and uh, and i i absolutely think that just as with recovery to um to try to do this on your own, 
without regular support is very difficult. And when you go and sit each week with a group, it gives you the commitment then, but that, that helps you to sustain you through the week. It gives you fresh Dharma teachings each week if you're going to see a teacher. Um, and it can develop into a community and, or, for, in which there can be all the opportunities that community and fellowship give. So I think it's invaluable. And, and, and as I say, difficult to sustain a practice without that. Uh, to be out there on your own. You know, we, it's, again, this... Uh, you know, Bhikkhu Bodhi, do you know who he is, Bhikkhu Bodhi? He's one of the great translators. If you go in the bookstore here, there are several really big fat <laughs> books of Buddhist suttas that he translated. And for years he was just known as this translator. And then uh, just a couple years ago he started uh, an organization to feed the hungry of the world. Uh, I it's i remember the acronym and it's it's the uh, i think other than kqed the, it's the only thing i give money to every month i just have an automatic thing that goes to them bgr the first word is buddhist but i can't remember what the other word oh. terrible but anyway he had a blog a posting i guess you would say um that i got yesterday or at least i read it yesterday and it was very political, and it's so interesting to see somebody who's lived this monastic life and been immersed in the ancient teachings and really never, I mean, I listened to dozens of his talks about the Buddhist suttas. It's one of the places I've learned a great deal about the really traditional Buddhism from him. And I never heard him talk about politics, and now he's obviously really engaged. And this piece was essentially comparing... Uh, the Republican and Democrat, Democratic approaches to economics. But he was talking about the more in spiritual and philosophical terms and talking about the ideology, uh, the Republican ideology that we're all on our own and we just have to get what we can and we, sh- we don't have to share it with anybody because we are all doing it on our own. And then, and this is not even Republican and Democrat. These are more ideologies that that are behind those kind of ideas. Because obviously, both parties are have their issues, problems, and neither of them is doing a great job of solving our country's problems. Like, has anybody heard about the gun thing? Like, it's just unbelievable. But anyway, moving right along. So, uh, and then he talks about how you know that that the, this other view is that we're all in this together, that we're a community, that we all have to support each other, that we're, there, that we're interconnected. And it's this recognition of the truth, you know, that we are interconnected. There's no such thing as an you know, independent person. Uh, and so this applies across the board from our personal life to our political life. And it's just an expression of the truth. And we, in our culture, is, you know, for some reason we've got this stupid... 19th century cowboy mentality in our culture about how we all are independent, you know, we're all uh, self-reliant and we're all supposed to be, you know, frontiers people and and so I should be able to just meditate on my own and that's all I need to do anyway. You know, meditating in and of itself just is, it's like people try to take one thing out of Buddhism. Meditation isn't Buddhism. You know, it's just part of this interconnected whole, and with all this, then you are interconnected with everyone. And so make it part of your, you know, interconnected, and it'll work much better. Padapa. <laughs> well, shall we take a little break? No one's going to volunteer to ask another question. Well, I have a question. Okay, good. And if you want me to, I'll use the microphone. Well, it's for the poor people who are trapped inside this little box over here. I'll I'll talk loudly then. Yeah, Um, Yeah, very small ears. You, 
You've been doing this for a long while, both the 12-step work and uh, the Buddhist work, and uh, the beginning of the 12th step is having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. How do you characterize what is a spiritual awakening? That was going to be my talk, but hey, I actually... Okay. Um, first of all, uh, my understanding that of that certainly evolved, has evolved a lot, and and I had a um, very kind of uh, exaggerated idea of what a spiritual awakening should be, based on. Um, you know, my limited understanding of Buddhism when I got sober. And and uh, so when I saw, first saw Step 12, my first thought, or one of my first thoughts was, who do these people think they are, that they're going to get enlightened by doing these silly steps? Um, and now I see spiritual awakening as... Um, something that actually happens in each step. In fact, I, for me, I think step one was the biggest spiritual awakening in my life, the most transformative one. And, and I don't mean just realizing that I couldn't drink or use or that I was powerless, but the actual transformation that happened to me whereby... I no longer wanted or needed or did drink or use anymore. And that was a, although there, it, it was a gradual build-up to that breakthrough, the breakthrough itself was sudden and complete, seemingly. At least it hasn't, you know, I haven't relapsed in these 27 years. So I think then we have to, talk about what spiritual means. Uh, I guess maybe what awakening means too, but you know, I, I have a whole, a whole piece in Burning Desire about kind of defining spiritual and uh, trying to get it down off the pedestal. So that there's a few components to me to, to spirituality or to what is spiritual, and none of them are really ethereal. They're, they are the real the prime one being the realization that happiness does not come through external acquisition or through ex, even through external things or experiences that happiness comes through an internal transformation or an internal attitude or, you know it's it's an inside job as we say so that's that takes us out of the material world as the fix, and into the mental, emotional, heart, whatever, all of that. So, and then the realization that everything is interconnected is part of spirituality to me, seeing that I'm not separate. When I realize that everything is interconnected, I realize that I have a responsibility to behave in a skillful or moral way in the world. So that means that spirituality also, to me, includes the way I live and uh, you know, behave in the world, my, my uh, ethics, my morals. Um, so those are kind of the main components to me. I think that there might be one or two other things, but uh, you know, how that manifests, then you, people usually um, engage... So, practicing meditation, being in the 12-step program, and many other things are actions that I take to cultivate those qualities of inner happiness, of a sense of interconnectedness, and of sustaining my morality, my ethics, my skillful behavior. Um, the... Somehow people have this idea that spiritual means that you believe in fairies or something, you know, or 
maybe that's not the right word. Um, uh, you, that you, you believe in some kind of magic or something. You know, oh, I'm not really spiritual, people will say. Or I'm really spiritual. I don't, I don't know what that means. It's kind of like when people say, well, I'm a Buddhist. I, I don't know what that means either. Um, so, I mean, that's sort of the answer to the, to the question of what... Okay, so I didn't answer the actual question, but it's the beginning. <laughs> so, awakening, then, <laughs> is being present. And I guess I would say spiritual awakening is being present to all, the, to all those truths and understandings that, that I see as defining spirituality, being present to my own inner life and watching that being you know, aware of how things arise. And so that means I'm actually, there's a connection to the Four Noble Truths. I see how suffering arises. I see how joy arises. I cultivate these things, right? And, and, and all of that, I, I, um, I'm awake to my relationships. I'm awake to my behaviors. I'm present for it all. So that's the beginning of an answer. I... So one of the things I've done is said that each of the steps contains a spiritual awakening. So I've kind of described step one, that awakening. And this is just a quick thing that I wrote up. Step two awakens us to the possibility of change, which to me means the realization that we can change. Step three awakens us to commitment and acceptance, maybe. Step four awakens us to our own failings. I don't know, that's one way of putting it. To honesty, to looking at our... That. Step five awakens us to the power of confession. It's interesting. Steps... I haven't looked at this in a while, so I'm just as surprised as you. Uh, step six awakens us to the power of intention. Step seven awakens us to the power of letting go. Step eight awakens us to the truth of who we harmed. Step nine awakens us to the power of forgiveness. Step ten awakens us to the importance of enduring effort. That's a nice one. Step eleven awakens us to our inner goodness and spiritual life. And step twelve awakens us to service and ongoing commitment. Uh, you know, I, I don't mean that to be a comprehensive answer to what the spiritual awakenings are, but that's just some kind of, you know, references. What do you think? Cool. really want to know? <laughs> well, mm-hmm. I, I sort of think that you asked the question because you had something in mind. Well, I, I, I was curious about it because I have respect for the fact that this has been a long journey for you and that you've done it with great intentionality and commitment. Obviously, you're sharing it with all of us and have been doing this for some time, and I respect that. And uh, I've been going through my own process in relation to all of these things, too. So I have some things that have come to me, and I was just curious what what you did, what you thought about it. And there was sort of an aphorism that I came to quite a number of years ago that says we identify with our story to find comfort and we disidentify to find truth. Mm -hmm. And the comfort is not comfortable. It's the familiar. Mm -hmm. And the disidentification is letting go of every story that I have held about who I am and about what the world is. That's what I see as a spiritual awakening, Mm -hmm. releasing myself from every story that I told. And I do believe that the process that you've talked about, what Buddhism is all about and what the 12 steps are all about, is a journey through that process of self-revelation and release. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, certainly the... You know the bondage of self, as the twelve steps talk about, and the and seeing through the illusion of ego uh, that we talk about in Buddhism is certainly key to it. And and so I I guess that when I'm talking about realizing our interconnectedness, that's that's in, in sort of implied in there. Although it's, I'm not I'm not making it quite so central. But I think uh, you know I think you're that's a really good uh, description of a spiritual awakening, a beautiful one. Yeah. Well, and I think 
I think where community comes in is that, as you alluded to, I mean, the beauty of both what happens here and what happens in 12-step meetings is that there is that support. Mm -hmm. It is that community of like-minded people who have had the similar experience yeah. that helps break through the isolation and the shame. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and part of that, yeah, I mean, a, a part of that breakthrough, uh, uh, as you're saying, is the disidentification with it as as I as that's my story that's who I am, and all the pain that comes along with that re realization that n not only does it not belong to you but that it's actually just a another. I mean, there's so many other ways to talk about. It. I mean, just like I'm just another alcoholic. That's one way of talking about it. But also, or I'm just a human being. But also that you know behaviors don't sort of um, uh, define who you are. Uh, they define, they create your karma, you know. But, and this is an issue that I have um, with, uh, uh, geez. Well, I, I don't want, I, I realize I'm about to say something that I don't want to be, um, Recorded. talk about someone else uh, but just to say that I'll just put it in more general terms when we tell people and this is something parents often do they tell their children they get when they get angry with their children they say you're so uh, selfish or you, especially when they're you know teenagers or something and they're behaving in these ways that are and and you know we we tell them how they are because you know, we're looking at them as adults, and somehow, at, at a certain point, we get frustrated and just feel like, "Why aren't you behaving like an adult?" Kind of, because we forget or whatever. But, but um, really, this can be really destructive because people hear that and take it on and believe it. And we, we're all living examples of that, probably. You know, having been told stuff about ourselves that we had to get rid of or like see through or see what it, what it was really about and, or maybe yeah oh yeah I do have that ten tendency or whatever but that that way in which we get defined and uh, I think we have to be so careful uh, how we use language in terms of particularly when communicating to young people but really with anyone because we all take in this stuff uh, depending on who it's coming from um, that's uh, you know, solidifying who we are. And it's so important to see through that stuff that that's just, you know, especially when it's a child, you realize they're just going through developmental stages and they have to act out in these ways where they wouldn't even be, they wouldn't develop properly, you know, if they didn't do this stuff. Uh, well, that was a bit of a digression, but that's nothing unusual. Oh, go ahead, you've got the microphone. Thank you. So I'm in, I'm in control. Um, I was just thinking about um, when the woman in the back was speaking about practicing and you know connecting the dots. When you come to the, to a place like Spirit Rock, sometimes what I find is you really have to create an intentionality of, to form a practice of meditative, you know, practicing the skills of meditation and developing what's important and true and you know, gets you to be awake with the work that, that, you know, is revolving around Buddhism. And so I think for me, it can be, it can be very ethereal, but I have to make it concrete. And I think that there's a lot of resources here, like back on that table in the back, there are um, schedules, you can look at all the things going on at Spirit Rock, you can go online, Spirit Rock has a tremendous website and huge resources, so if you're interested in going to a regular group, you can do that outside of this place with teachers mm -hmm. that are connected to Spirit Rock, that, that are connected um, in this community, and you know, um, Kevin does a lot of work outside of here too, so you can go to his website and find out what he's doing, and there are groups that deal with Buddhism in the 12 steps in San Francisco. There's groups in the East Bay. So you might want to think about that and create that intention for yourself. If it's something that attracts you and you've taken away uh, something that connects the dots of 12 step and, and the Buddha's practice for yourself, 
and there's there's just so many resources we're really living in a a bountiful place to practice this path and you can come out here if you live um you know i used to live in berkeley and i would come out here all the time i just made it part of my life because i love spirit rock so much so i think it's just um you know sometimes i i do feel like i'm kind of floating on my own and i i come out here and i volunteer and it's something that's helped me a lot to feel like i'm a part of what's happening here and that that just sort of giving feels really in the heart of, um, you know, what my what my um, work is about in, around this community and being with these the people, you people, and all the people that are here. It's just a great place to be. Yeah. So um, I think it's just you know you got to create that, but you also have to you have to step up and you have to put that energy in. It's not just gonna somebody's not just gonna come up and go, hey, let me take you on this wild journey or something but you can create that and it's like going to a meeting you know you can get a lot but you could also just walk out of there and not talk to anybody mm-hmm. so you could you could be very much on your own or you can be very much a part of depending upon how much you decide you want to make this a part of your life so um yeah i just kind of yeah. wanted to say thanks that. yeah yeah I'll say one more thing, and then let's take a break. Just in kind of just adding on a little bit to that, that that one of the ways to really help to establish a practice is to go on retreat. So retreats are invaluable as a way of deepening your meditation and giving you more of a sense of excitement about meditation and inspiration about it when you have some really deep meditative experiences that you might not get to in a daily practice. And the, the other side of it is, you know, just meditating every day isn't, isn't the answer. You know, if you, I mean, it, it's okay if you miss some days meditating and stuff. To me, it's, uh, there, it's a whole path, you know, and you can, you can express that in different ways. And some of them might be through movement, some of them might be through service, uh, some of them might be through your work, or um, what else? Therapy. I don't know. You know, <laughs> it's uh, so not to get too, um, you know, judging ourselves if that, if our, our particular, um, you know, personality isn't suited to meditating every single day. Um, so, um, in that middle way. So let's take a little break, and we'll ring a bell and come back and talk some more. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.